Kia ora. Kofus Mithahou. Welcome to the House. The final thing that Parliament did before it adjourned for the election was agree the alterations to Parliament's rules that will apply to the next Parliament. Changes that the parties and the clerks have been working to finalise for about a year. And while many suggestions for changes never come to fruition, for the second successive review of standing orders, there are quite big shifts, especially around how Parliament keeps an eye on the government. To discuss the changes, I sat down with the clerk who runs Parliament's secretariat and the clerk who ran the committee that sweated over the rules. I'm David Wilson, Clerk of the House of Representatives. So every three years, the Standing Orders Committee uh, has a look at the rules that govern how Parliament works, the Standing Orders. They get submissions from the public and from MPs uh, and from my office and consider whether they should change any of the rules for how the next Parliament's going to operate. Is it an unusual thing that a Parliament changes its rules every three years? It's unusual only that it's in a regular cycle and that it always occurs every three years, and it, it has since 2003. But it's not unusual to review rules. Most parliaments do that at some point. Some do it only when there's a crisis or some obvious problem that needs fixing. Ours is kind of baked into our cycle that it always happens and doesn't necessarily indicate anything's wrong, but it is really part of the culture now that they will always be reviewed and I guess a feeling they can always be improved. I'm Gabor Hallier, a principal clerk in the Select Committee office. Now, Gabor, you're the guy that kind of ran the committee that looked after all of this, right? What's the process for that? The committee starts to review about a year before the end of the parliamentary term. So the committee gets together, elects a chairperson and initiates the review. And that will typically start with a call for submissions. And it's not just like a government committee or something, is it? No. So the committee has membership from every party uh, in parliament. And it's typically made up of senior members from all those parties. And that's a really important part of the cross-party dynamic that the review has. There's another very interesting dynamic that the review has, and that is the fact that they don't know who's going to be the government after the election. So in discussing what the rule's going to be, they don't know whether they're favouring themselves or the other guys, right? That sort of changes how they work it, do you think, a bit? I think that's right, and that's one of the important aspects of the timing, uh, as you mentioned, that, that people don't know which side of the house they're going to be on, and I think that that does facilitate um, a focus on, I guess, the, the legislative branch's interests rather than uh, particular parties' interests. Yeah. There is, though, I, I pick there's a dynamic in the room as well where these are senior MPs and these are guys that sort of see the importance of Parliament, and it's not all party, is it? They actually do seem to take this thing quite seriously. Yeah, they do take it seriously, and, and I think um, it is partly the timing and, and not knowing uh, what they're going to be doing after the election, but also I think because they are experienced members who uh, have uh, seen Parliament working for a long time and, and generally want to work in its interests. And they're generally guys who have been on both sides of the House, well, many of them, and so they kind of can see both perspectives, both of trying to be the government and also of trying to hold a government to account, right? Yeah, that's right. When you look at the changes that you've come up with, there's a range of different sorts of things. Some of them are very obviously fixes for mistakes and errors and screw-ups that have happened through the year. Small things that are identified, which we usually bring to the attention of the committee, things that haven't worked as intended or that perhaps could use some attention or improvement, as well as much bigger changes that are a change of direction. Yeah, we'll get to those big changes mm. in a moment because they're the, the thing that really sort of shapes the whole thing. There's also, I, I notice there's little things where you spot potential future shenanigans, things that haven't happened but could happen. For example, there's a, a new rule going in about component parties and how they get treated in the House. Yeah, and at the moment that's a bit inconsistent in that uh, 
Parties that are elected in their own name in an election are then recognised for parliamentary purposes. But some parties are made up of constituent smaller parties. They have been in the past, and you know those have been elected, and the Alliance was one such party that mm. came in under MMP. There was a possibility, though, that were they to fragment after election back into their component parties, that those wouldn't be parties recognised by the Electoral Commission during the election, but could then be recognised in Parliament. And that just seemed wrong. Yeah. Um, so it isn't something that's happened, but it is something that could happen, and we thought it should be tidied up and they should all be treated the same. So there's those, those little things, mm. but then there's the really huge changes as well. It strikes me that as much as anything, these changes are about rebalancing the way that the place works so that Parliament does its functions well. Now, Parliament's got sort of, what, three core functions, I suppose. It provides a government from amongst itself, it passes legislation, uh, and the third thing is it keeps an eagle eye on that government. It's really hard, isn't it, for a legislature to do all of those things well, to balance those tasks, right, Gabo? It is, it is tricky, uh, and I think in the New Zealand context, one of the quite relevant factors is that we do have quite a small parliament, and we're unicameral, so we don't have an upper house, we don't have a, um, a house of lords or some equivalent to that. Uh, so we have a relatively small parliament, uh, and so there's a lot of parliamentary work to do and a limited number of members to, to do it. So uh, there is quite a lot of work there. Those limited numbers, actually, they're particularly problematic when you come to select committees, right? I mean, th there are 12 specialist subject select committees plus a number of other ones, and only really a, a smattering of MPs to go around them. Uh, mm. And yet they have tens of thousands of government workers to keep an eye on, more or less. Yep, that Billions is a, of that's dollars a, to follow. accurate characterisation, yeah. The MPs, in coming up with these rules and sort of creating a system for Parliament, they have to try and create a mechanism where Parliament can use those portious numbers to efficiently keep an eye on government. Mm. And you've made some changes to help them. Mm. And I do think that that is one of the reasons that the review of standing orders is quite important. It's, it's almost like a triennial performance review for Parliament about how it's mm. doing its uh, core functions and in a context where the scale of, of government sort of tends to increase over time, it's more complicated now than it was 30 years ago, uh, but the number of members hasn't changed, and so you do need to be looking at how effectively you're, you're carrying out those functions. I would argue the number of members definitely should change, and they need a lot more people to sort of keep an eye on things. But still, at the moment, you're working with 120 MPs. What are the changes, David, that have happened to select committees? The really big change is around, there's a, going to be a much greater focus on scrutiny of the executive, so keeping that eagle eye on the performance of the government and that's always been a function of select committees it's been difficult to find time to do it with a heavy legislative workload it's often the thing that goes by the wayside so there's always been some but I think there was a feeling on the committee it could have been better and that was certainly I think the sense everybody got from the submissions to the Standing Orders Committee as well. Is this a flow-on of anything that's particularly happened recently? No, it's actually been an, an ongoing issue, and the big reforms that were made uh, in 1985 that Sir Geoffrey Palmer led really had a focus on improving that scrutiny, parliamentary scrutiny of the executive has felt that hadn't been very good, and it, it did improve, and I, I think it, um, it really hasn't ever reached the potential that was envisaged at that time. So there's no particular issue that it's responding to now. I think it's just a feeling amongst members, and particularly on the Standing Orders Committee, and amongst some of the people that made submissions to them, that there were improvements that could be made, and this is a good time to do them. The main change is to get select committees to take a much more um, planned and systematic approach to scrutiny. So they'll plan the agencies they want to scrutinise. They'll spend more time 
examining and hearing from big agencies that either are large in terms of personnel or budget or perform some crucial function that really deserves the ongoing attention of Parliament. And so there's going to be more time for it. And, you've and not just more time, you've put specific weeks aside. I keep correct. saying you, like you're the guys that actually decided all the rules, but you're the guys that sort of run the place for the MPs. So specific weeks uh, have been put aside in order for this to be possible, right? It's a couple of weeks where the House won't sit, yeah. the focus will just be on the select committees. And I think this is a real reflection of the commitment of all parties to the scrutiny. They actually reduced the number of weeks that the House will sit by two and dedicated those weeks to scrutiny of the executive, which is a remarkable change yeah. uh, and one that was supported a- across the whole committee. Um, And so, yeah, one week will um, be focused on the estimates, so the process that follows the budgets, looking at spending plans and performance plans for agencies, and the other will be an annual review week looking at performance over the last financial year. And, yeah, the House won't sit. Committees will be able to meet for extended hours, and they'll really be able to focus on those agencies they've they've planned to spend time with, and they will spend more time with them. And that that will be planned well ahead, and everyone will know when it's going to happen. So ministers really won't have an excuse to say, oh, actually, I'm in gore that week, will they? That's right. Everyone will know when it's happening. They have to go into the sitting calendar, so the programme that's set for each year. Uh, And so ministers and and also state sector chief executives uh, and their departments will have advance warning of when it's going to happen and will be expected to appear and and answer to the committee. The report that has been agreed, it it goes further than that. It actually got sort of quite specific recommendations for how those reviews should occur, right down to, for example, the fact that uh, you're going to try and stop the the ministers or the chief executives from departments of using up all the time by just introducing themselves in their department and leaving nothing for questions. Yeah, so that's... um as the report notes, I think that's something that has been a source of frustration for some time. Uh, when you have one hour with a large department to scrutinise them, if they spend 10 minutes sort of introducing what they've done over the past year. 10 minutes year. is generous. Yes, yeah, sometimes yeah. they spend a lot longer than that. Yeah, so that's something that has sort of bubbled away for a while that's frustrated MPs. Uh, so there is some pretty strong guidance in there to keep those comments really short, to really keep the focus on the opportunity for members to ask uh, probing questions. Actually could make quite a difference this coming term. Do you? In terms of Parliament doing its job well? Yeah, I think so. I think it could make a huge difference. Of course, it is up to the members that perform that scrutiny uh, about how they do it. But this does give give some strong guidance, put in place a really good structure. That means there will be a focus on it. There won't be other competing work. And the expectation for everyone who participates will be that scrutiny is what will happen in that time. And it will focus on the issues and the agencies that are important. If committees want to, um, as they sometimes do, use the scrutiny process just to find out more about some of the other smaller agencies, they can actually do that outside the cycle. And that's another change that's been made, that they can just get briefings from smaller agencies or ones they don't want to focus on at the moment. Yeah, that makes good sense. What else is in the report, Gabba? What other sort of changes are there other than the select committees? Uh, So one of the other big focuses for the committee was uh, looking at how proposals to entrench laws uh, should be dealt with at Parliament. So that's something that came up halfway through the review and the committee took the um, slightly unusual step of calling for a second round of public submissions uh, on that issue specifically. So there are new requirements around how the Parliament can make laws that would be entrenched uh, and require more than 50% of members to change. Uh, And that really centres on requiring a select committee process for those kinds of proposals, which is really aimed at ensuring that there's sunlight on them, there's an opportunity for the public to scrutinise them, uh, and if they have that breathing time, uh, then... then Yeah, they don't happen so fast that they surprise everybody. Yes, that's right. So 
that's a, a, an important constitutional change. Another thing you do um, at this time is you often confirm or unconfirm, disconfirm, anti-confirm sessional orders, rules, temporary rules that were made during the current parliament, right? Yeah, uh, one of the interesting examples of that is the rules for uh, what's called declarations of inconsistency. It's quite a technical sounding term, uh, but it is basically where a court says that a particular law is not consistent with the uh, protected rights in the New Zealand Bill of Rights Act. Uh, that's something that's been a recent development in our constitutional landscape. Uh, and during this term of parliament, the uh, Standing Orders Committee considered what the parliamentary procedure should be when that happens. Some temporary rules were made and those have now been confirmed in the permanent rules. And they were rolled out for the first time in the House this last week and seemed to go quite well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anything else, David? Um, I think one of the interesting things, actually, which goes back to scrutiny, is how um, the committee created time for it. And so recognising the House is going to sit for two fewer weeks each year, but would still have the same legislative workload, they've actually decided to shorten the debate on first readings of government bills. Yes, because if you kind of try and do one thing better, you've actually got to try and make time to make that possible, right? That's right, and, and members have, have to split their time between their constituencies and communities and time in Wellington. For most of them, that's time away from home and from the people that elected them. And so there's no great desire to spend a lot more time in Wellington or more time in Parliament. But yeah, as you say, you need to create time to do it. And so by shortening debates on the first reading, which is really the introductory one where members and parties can set out their position on bills generally before they then go to a select committee. They've decided they'll shorten those, make the speeches shorter and, and make it easier for the whole debate to be shorter in order to create the uh, additional couple of weeks of time they're going to need to dedicate to scrutiny. Often in a first debate, before anyone's had a really good look at the bill and it hasn't been in select committee and you haven't heard from the public on it, a lot of the speeches are very same-same anyway. So you might as well not have two hours of them or up to two hours of them. Up to one hour is probably enough. Yes, and, and that's the approach that's been taken, but only for first readings. For the others, the second reading, following the select committee scrutiny, there's a lot, obviously a lot more to say. And the third reading, the final debate before the bill's passed, is still important as well. So, But actually shortening those first readings does create that additional time that's needed. It's constant sort of juggling game, isn't it? It seems that every term is a little bit different and its demands are a little bit different, and then you get thrown for a six by something like COVID, which changes all the requirements for how it will work. It's like rugby, keep changing the rules to try and keep up with how the players are actually playing the game. That's right, and I think there is a, certainly a strong feeling on that committee of the need to stay relevant, so that's to keep the parliament relevant to the voters who elect it uh, and able to do its job properly. And it is a constant juggle of time, which is fixed, and the number of MPs, which is also, for now, fixed, uh, and uh, available resources as well. And so those th three things are always in, in balance. I just I thought I'd mention one other uh, focus for the committee was looking at parliamentary jargon, uh, which I know, Phil, you made a submission to the committee on. Um, and so there's a couple of changes there as well. Uh, one of them is quite a technical one about what's called a closure motion, which is how members move for a debate to conclude. Another interesting one is supplementary order papers, which is, I think, a piece of jargon that you do hear quite a bit in, in chat about Parliament because it's how members put forward amendments to bills. Uh, so there was a, a feeling that that change couldn't happen right now, but they did signal that they're keen for that to be phased out over the next three years. So slowly, uh, the, the language, which I think you compared to casting spells at Hogwarts at one point, um, uh, should become a little bit more accessible. Yeah, which is, like David was saying, trying to keep the place relevant to and understandable to the public. Mm, exactly. That was Gabor Hellier, Principal Clerk of Committee, and before him, the Clerk of the House, David Wilson. If you want to know more about what Parliament's rules are, what rules got changed, and which ones did not, 
Have a squiz at our pages on RNZ's website. Just search for The House. And because Parliament has now gone to sleep for the election, so will this show. We'll see you again when the next Parliament springs to life, probably in November. You've been listening to The House. It's a whakarango koe ke te whare. This programme is produced with funding from Parliament's Office of the Clerk. Matawa.